0: An adult vaccine for shingles was approved in 2006, but recent data shows delivery of the vaccine has been a challenge. What are some of the issues associated with delivery of this shingles vaccine? And how can we address them? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at Chicago Medical School. And our guests today are Dr. William Schaffner, Professor and Chair of Preventive Medicine at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine and Vice President of the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases. And Dr. Michael Oxman, Professor of Medicine and Pathology at the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine. Dr. Oxman is also National Chair of the Shingles Prevention Study. Dr. Schaffner, Dr. Oxman, welcome. Thank you very much. Hello, Mark. Today, we are discussing the challenges of delivering the vaccine for adult shingles. Gentlemen, we mentioned that we can treat this viral disease if we detect it, but the problem is that we don't detect it early enough and there is irreversible change. One approach, obviously, is a vaccine. Perhaps another approach would be earlier detection of the disease. Why did you choose to go in the direction of a vaccine as opposed to earlier approach?
1: Well, the problem with earlier detection is that the first signs of shingles are generally unilateral pain, reflecting the fact that the virus first wakes up from its latency and replicates and damages nerve cells in the sensory ganglion. And the problem with unilateral pain syndromes is that they're caused by many different processes. And in a recent study from England by Michael McKendrick and his colleagues who were wondering how often these unilateral pain syndromes that present in an emergency room turn out to be the beginning of shingles. And he found that only a minority of unilateral pain syndromes, which bring people into the physician's office or the emergency room, eventually turn out to be shingles. So we can't make the diagnosis until the rash appears. And by that time, a lot of the nerve damage that results in long-term shingles pain or post neuralgia has already been accomplished.
0: Well, let's talk about this vaccine and its efficacy.
1: Well, first of all... I think it's important to recognize that it is cell mediated immunity to the varicella zoster virus that seems to be the way in which we prevent the latent virus from reactivating and causing shingles and so it's not surprising that in situations where there's a deficiency in cellular immunity such as HIV infection or lymphoproliferative malignancies or organ transplants or chronic steroid use there's a great increase in the risk of shingles as well as in its severity so that it made sense if we were going to try to prevent shingles to try to boost immunity to the virus now one of the things we talked about earlier was the observation that the risk of getting shingles increases as you get older So it's 10 times greater in somebody who is normal and 60 than someone is normal and 16. And there is good circumstantial evidence that this increase in the frequency and severity of shingles as you get older
2: is the result
1: of a natural decline in cell-mediated immunity to the varicella zoster virus that begins with the level that you get from chickenpox. When you've recovered from chickenpox, you have a high level of cell-mediated immunity to the varicella zoster virus, and that gradually declines with increasing age, so that uh, by the time you are in your 60s, your level of cell-mediated immunity to the virus is such that it can wake up from latency and cause shingles with a frequency of substantially more than 1% per year.
0: Now, has the CDC published its recommendations for this vaccine?
2: This is Schaffner. Yes. The CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices has now published recommendations about how it is we as physicians in the United States should be using shingles vaccine. And in a thumbnail, they say that we should be giving this vaccine to all adults who have a competent immune system who are age 60 and older. So that's a very comprehensive recommendation.
1: And how often? The information we have upon which this recommendation is based is that a single dose of shingles vaccine or zoster vaccine given to somebody who's 60 or over will reduce the likelihood of getting shingles by 51%. But more importantly, it will reduce the risk of having post neuralgia, the debilitating, life-ruining uh, chronic pain syndrome by two-thirds. Why is that? Well. The issues are complicated, but clearly, people who have a a reasonable level of cell-mediated immunity, even if they develop shingles, tend not to get post neuralgia, probably because they have less damage to the nerve cells in their sensory ganglia where the virus wakes up, so that if someone gets shingles at the age of 40, it's quite rare for them to have post neuralgia as a complication. On the other hand, if someone gets shingles in their 70s, depending on how you define post-herpetic neuralgia, the risk of having your shingles complicated by that development is in the range of 30 to 40%.
0: And can post-herpetic neuralgia remain for the rest of the person's life?
1: Usually, it gradually disappears over several months, but in a significant subset, it will persist longer. So in the shingles prevention study, where we enrolled 38,500 people who were 60 and over and half of whom got vaccine and half got placebo, we observed that the risk of having severe pain persisting beyond six months was around six to seven percent. And probably it's half that, maybe a little more than half that, persisting for more than a year. We don't have that data from the Singles Prevention Study. We have it from some
0: other studies, which are smaller. What's the public reception about getting adult vaccines?
2: This is Schaffner. Vaccines are a natural part of growing up if you're an infant and a child, but lots of people, with the possible exception of influenza vaccine, don't think of vaccines when it comes to adults. And indeed, that's one of the barriers that we have to overcome, both with patients and providers. Uh, when it comes to the shingles vaccine, we have to educate them that the vaccine is now available, how well it works, the importance of giving it, and how devastating shingles and post-shingles pain can be in order to motivate them uh, to get the vaccine.
0: Are the primary care physicians becoming more receptive to this whole new concept?
2: I think think primary care physicians are gradually learning about the vaccine, its importance, and are beginning to administer it. But you can hear the caution in my voice, and that's because you have another problem with delivering the vaccine, and that is payment for it. It is not yet covered in an easy fashion under Medicare. It's covered under what's called Part D, and that means you have to go through a series of conniptions in order to get payment for the vaccine.
1: One important thing to recognize is that the shingles vaccine, although it contains the same live attenuated virus as in the vaccine to prevent chickenpox, contains a lot more virus and virus antigen. And that's because when you're immunizing against chickenpox, you're immunizing a child or an adult who's never seen the virus before and it takes only a limited amount of the live virus to do that. In an older adult, we're immune to chickenpox. Even very immunosuppressed people when exposed to chickenpox very rarely get another case of chickenpox. And in shingles, we're dealing with a virus that we already have inside us latently infecting nerve cells. So it's a very different kettle of fish to try to prevent that. And in the vaccine that we tested in the shingles prevention study, the minimum dose was 14 times more than the minimum dose in the children's vaccine or the vaccine against chickenpox. And you have to have that much virus to get a good boost in cell-mediated immunity in a person who's already immune to varicella zoster virus as a result of having chickenpox at an earlier age. Now, the virus has to be live. And this is the most fragile of all of the live virus vaccines.
0: Why is that?
1: The vaccine against chickenpox and the Zoster vaccine have to be kept frozen until they are resuspended with diluent and inoculated. And giving a dead live vaccine
0: is like giving saline. Well, what's the solution to this?
2: This is Schaffner. The solution is that we need a better Medicare program. We need to get all of the vaccines that are normally recommended for use in people age 65 and over, moved from Part D, as in dog, to Part B, as in boy. There's currently been some federal legislation introduced to do just that, but as with all legislation, its fate is kind of uncertain. But until that happens, I don't think we're going to see physicians really being assertive and aggressive in the use of this vaccine. Unfortunately, it's a fabulous vaccine. I've been known to say it's like creating a Jaguar and then leaving it in the garage.
0: (laughs) Well, Dr. Schaffner, who do we educate? The doctors, the legislators, the patients? Who is going to provide the motivation to get this change? I think all of the above.
2: I, I agree, Mike. I think we have to educate the legislators at the federal level, as well as our friends in the executive branch, that we ought to be immunizing adults, particularly seniors, comprehensively, and that includes with influenza, pneumococcal vaccine, tetanus vaccine as well as this new shingles vaccine. And in order to do that, the vaccines have to be covered in a very straightforward and easy way to be managed in the physicians or the pharmacist's office.
0: Well, let's compare it to the other vaccines for adults you were speaking about, meaning the influenza, the tetanus, the pneumococcal. Those are accepted, yes, by physicians, by insurance companies, and by the government?
2: Well, let's talk about the Medicare program because that involves people age 65 and over. Through special legislation, both the influenza vaccine and the pneumococcal vaccine and hepatitis B vaccine for those at special risk are covered under Part B. But interestingly enough, the tetanus vaccine was never encompassed in that legislation. So the only way you can get tetanus vaccine if you're a senior and get it paid for is that you have to have an injury first. And then if it's given as part of treatment instead of prevention, then they'll pay for it. And at the moment, uh, shingles vaccine, recently introduced, was put into Part D, unfortunately.
1: And Part D uh, was really designed for drugs, not for biologics.
0: I want to thank our guests, Dr. William Schaffner and Dr. Michael Oxman. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at www.reachmd.com, now featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com.